0: Now, if you'd like to use a Bible from the church, you could grab the one from the pew in front of you and turn to page 512. I think that would get you to our passage this morning. This is Psalm 119, and uh, what we are going to read this morning are verses 25 to 32. These are God's words for us today, and here's what God says. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your works. My soul melts away for sorrow Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far um, uh, from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments, when you enlarge my heart. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for truly there is no word like your word. And we're thankful that we could have your word. Help us now, Father, as we now look more closely at these words, that you would, to borrow from last week's passage, that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things, from your word. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Of course, the constant theme that runs throughout Psalm 119 is the word of God in the life of a follower of Christ. We know and we experience God through his word, by his spirit, but through his word, by his spirit. By, by his word, he, he guides us. Uh, he corrects us, He empowers us for the life that we live before God. That's every single unit, and there's 22 units in these 196 verses that comprise Psalm 119. Every one of these units say something or another about the Word of God in our lives. And, and yet what they do is they do that through various Situations and scenarios and experiences of our lives. Each of these units, eight verses a piece, uh, has its own emphasis. And this morning, the particular emphasis that we will address in this psalm is the emphasis of struggle when, when our hearts and souls are struggling. What do we need to see and know and experience from, from God's Word? In fact, there's two, two points I want us to make from our passage this morning. I first of all want us to see something about accepting the desperate struggle in our souls. Accepting or, maybe another word, recognizing the desperate struggle in our souls. But then the second point, the first point is verses 25 uh, through 28. The second point, verses 29 through 32, is alleviating or even relinquishing the desperate struggle in our souls. Now, before I look at those two points, I, I want to just make a couple of preliminary notes that, 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 um, that, uh, that are structural markers in this text that I believe um, help us to see why the focus is what it is and even how this passage unfolds. I mean, so why is there two points in this passage? Why, why does my sermon have two points? Is that just, do I just kind of pull it out of my hat and arbitrarily come up with that? Uh, well, in, in part, I think there's two points because I think that's how the passage itself uh, un, unlocks itself and unfolds for, for us. And, and, I, and I, I want to just mention three categories or three terms that I think are found in this passage. It helps us to see the focus of this passage. The first term that I want us to make note of, which is found in verse 25 and in verse 28, is the term soul. Do you see what he says there? My soul clings to the dust and then he says in verse 28, my soul melts away from sorrow. Those two uses of the term soul serve as a bookend, bookends to the first segment of our reading, of our unit this morning. And they, they are, the, the, the term is, is used to kind of help us to orient that what we're talking about in this passage is the inner struggle that the psalmist is having in his heart. The second term that I want to look at is also found in verse 25, but it's also found, it's, it's also found in verse 31. It says there, my soul clings. Clings is, is another term that, uh, that is pretty heightened in our passage this morning. My soul clings to the dust. And then did you notice what he said in the next segment of this unit in verse 31? I will cling... I cling to your testimonies, and so this—it's kind of comparing and contrasting the first segment, in which he's describing his desperate state, with the second segment, which is describing the way out of that desperate state. It's almost like he's—he's what he's really saying in a sense is, "I am stuck in the dust." And so, by the time he's done with this passage, what he says is, "So therefore, I will stick with the word." And then the third um, term that I think helps us to navigate this passage is the term way or ways. It's, it's found at least five times in verse 26, verse 27, verse 29, verse 30, verse 32. He says, uh, I, I, when I told you all my ways, or, or then he says in verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. Or what he says in verse 29 put false ways um, uh, from me. Then in verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. And then verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments. So so you see that's just a repetitive term there that helps us to navigate our passage. Now, I I say that to say then uh, the setting of Psalm 119, these verses, um, is the interior struggle that the psalmist is experiencing. This, this you Unit, which, is, which is identifying the interior struggle that he's having, is, uh, has a direct connection to the preceding unit. A lot of these are, while they're separate units, they're coupled together. And uh, so what we saw last week... Uh, in verses 17 through 24, described the exterior difficulty that the psalmist was facing and experiencing. Uh, that he, he tagged and identified the, the situational or circumstantial difficulty that was in his life. People were out to get him. And, and I keep on thinking this is Daniel. At least Daniel illustrates this, but... Uh, But Daniel, and and the psalmist, uh, was being oppressed by people in power. That's the external situation or circumstance that was addressed in 17 through 24. Now, connected to that is not a conversation about what's going on outside the psalmist, but the... The influence that what's going on outside of him is having on what's occurring within him, in his, in his soul. The, the difficulty is not him. Do you realize this? You are not your circumstances or your situation. That's not you. Oh, you're living there. That's your environment. But, but that's not you. They, that, it influences us. It, it, it's going on in our world outside of us, and it hangs around, and it certainly affects us. But who we really are is, is really what percolates with, within, within us. So the connection is: last week we noted something of the exterior difficulties, the circumstantial, the situational uh, experience that he was facing, uh, and 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 that did not define him. Your external situations and and circumstances do not define you, nor do they determine what we do. But that is not to say they don't affect us. That, boy, do they ever! You know the difference between having pleasant circumstances and situations and having difficult circumstances and situations. You know that our environment uh, most certainly affects us and even influences us. They are factors in our lives. They are influences in our lives. And yet what we really are is what we are in our hearts in relationship to the God who made us and holds us and rescues us. And so the psalmist is is expressing something of his struggle. He does it with very vivid language. He says there in verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. He says in verse 28, my soul melts away with sorrow. Something's going on in his heart and soul, the interior part of, of his life, of who he is. And, and it's it's reminding us that, 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 that there is a deep effect. Upon the difficulties that he is experiencing, a deep effect a a that's landing upon his heart. It's, it's like when he says, my soul clings to the dust, it's, it's, it's like he's saying, I, I, I'm being laid out on the ground. It, it, the imagery is almost like, just like God made Adam from the dust of the earth. It, it's, what he's saying is, like, I'm, I'm going back to the dust. I'm about to die. I can't get any lower than this. And then when he couples that with, in verse 28, my soul melts away from sorrow, for sorrow. It's almost like it's the the, the picture of this intense heat that is just pressing in on him. And he is hemorrhaging strength by the moment. So these vivid pictures portray some of the effect that the difficult circumstances were having upon his soul. They were weighing heavy upon him. They they were lingering and staying and they were intense. And as a result, his hope was dissipating. His strength was departing. And yet, What we see occur next is so helpful to you and I in sorting out life. As he describes with these bookends the state of his soul at that moment, the the middle section of this first segment, verse 26 and 27, um, helps us to sort out where does the psalmist go when when his soul is clinging to the dust, when his soul is melting away for sorrow. He says... In verse 25, give me life according to your word. He says in verse 28, strengthen me according to your word. There's help and there's hope for us if we connect the dots and see. When the psalmist's soul was depleted and feeling hopeless, where does he go next? He turns to the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He asks the Lord, for help and, and, Because you know what? There are two fundamental certainties in life. The first certainty of life is that life is difficult, and such difficulties of life have a way of chipping away at our hope and our strength. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've not lived life very much, or at least you're not paying attention. Uh, but when, when things press in on us from outside of us, uh, that chips away, it steals, it robs us of hope and strength. But, but there's another absolute certainty in life that not only is life difficult and such difficulties chip away at our hope and our strength, the second certainty is the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. That's what he says in Psalm 34, verse 8. So we can call upon him, and that's what the psalmist is modeling for us. And I say he's modeling for that because you know what? When 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 the difficulties of life press in and they won't like like just dissipate and go away, they hang around and they intensify, then there is a, there is a, a, a real moment of fierce temptation in our souls at that moment, to, to, to turn away from God, actually. To be angry at Him when, when, when our struggles and our difficulties linger. But the psalmist turns to the Lord I say that to say, oh, beloved, if, if this past week has been filled with difficulties and struggles experience, environmentally and situationally, and, and, they, and they won't go away, it's Sunday morning and they're still here. It's beginning to, to chip away at your hope and your strength. Don't turn away from the Lord at this moment. Turn deeper into the Lord at this moment. He prays to the Lord, but notice what he prays. He doesn't pray that the Lord would take away his difficulties. He doesn't pray that the Lord will change his circumstances. He doesn't pray that the Lord will uh, do a redirection on his situation. No, he, he prays that the Lord would change him. Give me life according to your word. Give me strength according to your word. And he clarifies that even further in verse 26. When I told of my ways, in other words, uh, as, as these difficulties landed upon me, I had all kinds of ideas on how to, uh, on how to sort this out and remedy this. And... Uh, guess what? None of them really worked too well. So, so Lord, I've, I've told you all the things that I have done to try to chase away and to remove the difficulties. And, 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 uh, but, now, but now, Lord, verse 27, make me understand your ways. That's a pretty strong term there. It's more than just simply, "Oh Lord, could you give me a few pointers here? Could you kind of give me a little bit of instruction?" But make me understand. He almost he's, he's saying it's like, "I don't get this too easily. I, I I don't I don't learn too fast. So Lord, would you make me understand your ways? I mean, I, I I know my ways. I've tried a few of them, and it's not gotten me out of this situation. But Lord, I, may, may I may may I, may I figure out your ways?" He says there also, and I, verse 27, I will meditate on your wondrous works. Lord, make me understand your ways. And and I'm going to linger long on thinking about those. I'm going to lean into that and, and, and try to grab a hold of that and remember that. As we transition now to the... To the last segment, verses 29 to 32, we, so we've seen something about accepting or recognizing the desperate state of his soul. But he's already begun this movement, but now he continues it in which he's, he's given us insight on how to relinquish or alleviate the desperate struggle in our souls. The, the whole context of this psalm is the interior struggle in the soul in light of the exterior difficulty that he is facing and that state the interior struggle and state of his soul continues to be the focus as he gets into verse 29 and following and yet and yet there's this interplay he's already begun this interplay but but it becomes even more pronounced in 29 to 30 because there's there's an interplay between a focus on God and his word as the psalmist combines seizing personal responsibility for where he is heading in light of the desperate struggle in his soul and and yet coupling that seizing personal responsibility with also seeking the grace, the help from God that he needs. You and I are responsible before God for what we do. I, I don't... I, I know I probably just sounded like I was talking Swahili there for a second because our culture does not have that sort of language any longer. We are all just just utter victims of something or another, and and, and we use that. That's not to deny that some of us haven't been victimized, but but we use that to circumvent any further discussion or conversation about personal responsibility, and it's. Killing us as a culture. It's killing us. We see the manifestations in our nation about this is what happens when no one understands or accepts personal responsibility for themselves and their life and their choices. But the psalmist is leaning into the call that he has. I mean, he is in a funk. His soul is in a desperate state. He, is, he feels hopeless. He feels strengthless at this moment. And if anybody would have an out to say, I don't know where to go or what to do, I mean, he, he would get the t-shirt for that one. He would win the t-shirt. Or anyway. Look, you and I are not accountable for what's been done to us. But you and I are accountable for what we make of our lives. You, you and I are re- accountable for, 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 for where we go, how we respond, regardless of what has been done for us. I know, the, I know that's hard language. I know that's stout language. And I don't, I don't speak this language to, 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 to hurt anybody. And I certainly don't speak it to be flippant, to to whatever sort of hurts and, and wrongs have been done to any, any of us. But no matter what's been done to us, we are still moral responders. We are still accountable to respond to our situation and circumstances in a way that glorifies God and honors Him. The, the, the difficulty of our situations, the, the, the hardness of our circumstances, they linger and they press in on our souls and they make us feel hopeless and strengthless, but we must, must still choose how we respond, where we go, which way is forward, and put a foot in front of the other to take that step. The psalmist is full of this resolution to accept personal responsibility. He would say, this is typical when he says then um, uh, in these these verses um, where he says, um, Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Intuitively, it doesn't feel that way. It feels, like, it feels like when something circumstantially presses in on me and zaps me of my hope and my strength, it feels like, you know what, I've been absolved from choosing which way I'm going from this point forward. But the psalmist is recognizing that he is responsible for his choices I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules in front of me. I will cling to your testimonies. When my soul feels like it's clinging to, to the dust, I, I will nevertheless choose to cling to your testimonies. I will, verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments. Have you ever felt so debilitated and despairing and depleted of hope and strength that you feel like, run, I can't even get out of bed. I'm so much in a funk. And I, I, Look, I know this is so much easier to, to preach than it is to practice. I'm a much better preacher than practitioner, and that's not saying I'm a very good preacher. I'm just saying it's easy to stand up here and say something or another. It's a whole other thing to, to live that way. But when our soul is in a desperate struggle and it feels hopeless and strengthless, we still have choice. What's been done to us is not us, it doesn't get to define us, it doesn't get to determine what we do. Um, But what it does is it clarifies what's really going on in our hearts. When we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're sad, when we feel as though we have no more hope to go forward, we have no more strength to go forward, that is when we have a wonderful opportunity to clarify what's really going on in our hearts. Because what's going on in our hearts is really what defines us and what determines the next step that we'll take. And the psalmist is modeling that for us, and yet he's not just modeling personal responsibility for us. Oh, that he is. But he's also modeling for us what might feel like a contradiction. Might, might, uh, but he's, pers- he's, he's, he's showing us what personal responsibility looks like, but he's also showing us what utter dependence upon God consists of. And throughout this passage, as he states what he's resolving to do, as he states what he's intending to do, as he states what he's choosing to do, and so there's this strong word about personal responsibility, however, what runs through these same verses now is, is, is it's coupled with an equally strong word about his utter dependence upon grace. You and I are utterly dependent upon the grace of God at all times, but the focus Of our passage and the particular awareness of our lives is how much more uh, do we need grace than when we feel ourselves hopeless and strengthless. God gives grace. He, he, he starts us off in that direction when he says uh, in verse 29, put away false ways from me. Even that, even that is a request. Oh, Lord, I told you my ways. Would you put those false ways behind me? Oh, Lord, help me to escape those false ways and graciously teach me your law. Lord, would you do that graciously? Now, let me define a term. Boy, if grace is not a term we've used once or twice before in church life, uh, then I don't know what word it is, but, but sometimes we use these terms and we don't clarify what we mean by them. What I, what I mean by grace, particularly as it works in this unit, is grace is something that is provided for us that is unearned and undeserved. And what that something is that is provided for us that is unearned and, and undeserved, well, it's, it's a host of things. But it's, it's connected to, well, what do we need? And here in this passage, what the psalmist needs is hope. He feels like his soul is clinging to the dust. What he needs is strength. He, he feels like his soul is is, is melting for, for sorrow. So he feels hopeless and strengthless. And so what he needs here is hope and strength. And what he believes is that those are found in God. And that's why he's pouring out his soul to God. God, I in order to choose. To walk this way, to run this way, to cling this way. I, 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 I must have what only you can provide. So he prays, Lord. Uh, 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 verse 29 again. Put away false ways from me. Graciously teach me your statutes. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I cling to your, I set my rules in front of you. I cling to your testimonies. Let me not be put to shame. Again, a wonderful balance there between I know I'm responsible for where I go. I know I'm responsible for what I choose, but yet, Lord, I know my ways, and I know that I could choose my ways over Your ways, and that will result in my own shame. So, Lord, would You help me? Would You put some guardrails up so so that I don't go there? Would Would You would You put a, a, a gate in front of that pathway so I don't go there? Lord, help me, lest I will wind up in a shameful place. Lord, only You can prevent me. Only only you can deliver me from my shameful ways. In other words, he has got, he's got, while he's personally responsible, he has really low confidence in himself, but he has much confidence in what God is able to do. And then he says in verse 32 when he coupled with, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Do you hear what he's saying? Lord, I'm, I want to run in the way of your commandments, but I ain't got the heart to do that. I ain't got the soul, capability, or capacity on my own to do that. And so, Lord, when as you enlarge my heart, I'm gonna run. It's just a just a wonderful, wise balance here. He, he, he asks the Lord. That, that, that the Lord would teach him his ways. He asks the Lord that, that the Lord would keep him from placing himself in a point of shame, and, and yet he, now he asks the Lord that, that the Lord would enlarge his heart. Oh, do you realize that that's part of what is included when you and I come to Christ? Do you realize that when we come to Christ, it is certainly true, and we don't need to minimize or collapse this one moment, it is true that you and I are pardoned of every one of our sins, past, present, and future. It is true that when you and I come to Christ, we are kept in the hands of a loving God, and no one's able to pluck us out of the hands of a loving God. But do you realize that as blessed as those gifts are, those gracious gifts... God's got a whole bunch more gracious gifts that He gives. When we come to Christ, when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that transaction has revolutionary effect on our hearts and on our souls. The New Testament uses language like, we are given new hearts. The New Testament uses language like, we are made new entirely new creations. The the New Testament uses language like we are born anew, born again, born from above. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter three, we are reminded that that at essence, what it means to be to belong to Christ and be a follower of Christ is that Christ, by His Spirit, indwells our hearts and our souls. The very essence of what it means to belong to Jesus is that we have been graciously gifted an enlarged heart, a heart that, that is able to rise above the situational and circumstantial difficulties of our lives and, and, and assume the responsibility for where we go next, how we think, how we feel, the perspective that we'll have, the funk that we'll stay in. We've been given new hearts in Christ Jesus to rise above the... the, the, the the struggle that wishes to contract our hearts and squeeze life and hope out of us. We've been given new life and new hearts. And out of those new lives and new hearts, we can meditate on God's law. We can journey down the path of the faithful way. We can cling to God's testimonies, and we can run in the way of God's commandments. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word helps us and teaches us and instructs us. And Father, whatever we've brought to you this morning, that, that perhaps even the desperate struggle of our soul, we bring that to you, Father, because you are Lord over our souls. You are Lord over our lives. You are Lord over all circumstances and all events. And we come to you, and we're thankful for your word that orients us to you and back to you. Now, Father, help us this week. Help us to walk in balance, that we walk with a conscious awareness of our personal responsibility before you, but help us, Father, to walk with an acute awareness of our utter desperate need for you. And, Father, show us you are faithful, for we pray this in Christ's name.